let's say a human being in relationship to a treatment, right? Look at their whole body at once. Just see them as the whole thing. And in your mindset, you can even imagine that there's like a geometry that unifies and is this underlying like underpinning that connects everything inside of them and everything around them. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. You've probably heard your patients say this. You might have said it yourself when things seem to take a turn for the better, but you don't want to comment on it because you might jinx it. In the past, I've dismissed this as a kind of reverse wishful thinking, a sort of overinflation of our impact on the world, that by recognizing that there has been a turn for the better, we set in motion the processes that could take that change away. That we are so powerful that with a word, we can undo the improvements that we made. Now, I'm not so sure. For sure, there are all kinds of ways we have of overinflating ourselves that have us gazing at the stars and so we trip over the vines and the roots of this earthly life. And I suspect we all have experienced moments of exuberant overconfidence And, well, you already know how that can go, so there's that. But increasingly, I suspect that the world does indeed respond to what we say about it, because what we say about it in turn shapes how we perceive the world. Perception, it isn't neutral. It's a filtering process that involves the story we tell ourselves about the world, our expectations, aversions, desires, hopes, and hatreds. We all have a stake in the story that we tell, and we've got preferences for how we'd like to see the world unfold. But life is rarely a simple arithmetic of two plus two gets you four. I had a patient some years ago, very staunch in her religious beliefs. She said to me, I really need more patience, but I know better than to pray for patience because God doesn't grant patience. God will send me the conditions and the troubles that allow me to develop my patience, and I just don't have the time for that right now. Attending to the circumstances that give rise to what we want, that's the opposite of clicking a button on the internet to instantly get what you want. Perhaps this confusion is the source of so much anxiety and despair in our modern moment. Our words do have impact, especially those we whisper to ourselves, and especially when we whisper what we don't want rather than what we'd like to see come to fruition. Creating the conditions that allow patience to arise does not mean you'll get extra time and resources. You might get an extra dose of trouble. Creating the conditions for peace and understanding, hmm, well, that's probably going to arise through some troublesome conflict. Seems to me, most goodness that has unfolded in my life, it's come through taking on the troubles that I face. As my Buddhist friends like to point out, that lovely white lotus floating on the surface of the pond, it has its roots in the mud. These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. 
Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment, and the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love was the amount of packaging waste I generated at the end of the day. But that has now changed too. Ever since I switched to AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles, I reduced my packaging waste by 90%. Not only are they a great needle, but the folks at AccuFast plant a tree for every two boxes of needles I use in the clinic. By switching to AccuFast Needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of the solution, it's simple too. Visit AccuFastNeedles.com slash Geological to learn how. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Mayway.com to find the perfect Pumsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit Mayway.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. I love how technology can help to automate my office. And I want to share with you my favorite tool for doing so, Jane. Jane is a clinic management software in EMR with a human touch. Whether you're switching your software or going paperless for the first time, the Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even Saturdays. You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account and ensure you feel confident about going live. If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app/switch to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their support team. And be sure to mention the code geological at the time of sign up for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Practicing acupuncture has made me curious about sensing and perception. 
how we somehow come to grips with understanding what might be going on for our patients and befriending uncertainty as part of the path. It's great when we know for sure what to do. And those moments can arise along with plenty of other moments where we have to make decisions and chart a course of action into the fog. In this conversation with Beth Hazard, we discuss how sensing influences perception and how it is in the clinic that we know, and perhaps even more importantly, how we know that we know, along with the process of discovery that accompanies all clinical encounters. Let's get into this. Beth Hazard, welcome to Geological. Thank you for having me. I'm so delighted you're here. Our mutual friend, Bob Quinn, introduced us. Yes. And he had this idea that he gave me of, Michael Max, why don't you do a series of like East Asian bodywork conversations? Awesome. And I thought, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a huge area, isn't it, to explore? Well, I think so. Often not so much talked about for us needle-using folk. We're kind of like, eh, who needs hands, man? I got needles. Right. There's a tremendous amount of touch and body work that we talk about. I don't know how many of us use it. Right. But every time I talk to one of my body work friends, I just come away... I mean, the world looks and feels different to me. There's like ways you guys have of using your sensing apparatus that's like extraordinary. Yes, that's true. It does. I think that in that has actually created a lot of the developments in like in particular with Shiatsu has gone in some very interesting directions, theoretically and practically speaking, in the realm of energetics and sensing based on that. Because I think about how much time a person, a body worker, spends just focused in on another person's energy. It's like the whole session, right? They're just... And then when you've got that background of the meridian system, you are just constantly in this feedback loop with the chi mm -hmm. and the information that it can convey through touch. I guess you can somewhat, you know, chi is such an impossible word to translate. Maybe. No, it's definitely hard to translate. I mean, I think it's impossible to translate directly because it could mean so many things. Are you? I'm working on it, though. I'm telling you. All right. I, I want to hear about it in just a second. Okay. I just heard you use the word information. Yes. And I thought, that's right. Chi is a carrier of information. It's like some kind of a wavelength. Wavelengths isn't quite the right word. That's like, that's, like a, that's more a metaphor. But it chi contains information. Yeah. So tell me about your definition of chi. Well, my understanding of chi has expanded recently because I've been studying unified physics. And what I'm starting to come to is this idea that the reason why we haven't understood what chi is from the scientific lens, right? I think this is can be challenging to like say, she is this. However, when we start looking at this 
fundamental field from which matter emerges. And this is new physics that we're just starting to understand. We see that there is a level of the universe that is part of us that unifies everything, informs everything, that does a pretty good job of explaining the chi dynamic in human beings. And this is this field of energy that is communicating with all other scales of the universe, as well as the fundamentals for matter to emerge from. All right. That's one of those really big, like quantum level statements. You're right. It is. And there's a part of my mind that can kind of grasp it. And I can kind of, I can kind of draw a picture of, oh yeah, macrocosm, microcosm. Mm -hmm. You can see the energy between all the molecules of a leaf, a tree, you know, leaves on trees, that kind of thing. At least in my mind, I can. Yeah. But at least for me, it's like I have a mental construct of that. Mm -hmm. I don't have an embodied sense of that. Right. Because it's a level that we can't observe physically at this point. We see evidence of it, but that's true for chi as well, right? We don't mm. have like this petri dish full of chi or something like that that we can analyze in laboratory, but we have all of these different manifestations that we can start to explore through all of the different diagnostics and theoretical background of Chinese medicine, right? So it's smaller than molecules. I mean, what I'm talking about is this, what's called the Planck field. The what field? Planck. Oh, the Planck field, like Max Planck. Yes, yes. And so this idea, it comes from this unified physics model where you're looking at like this fundamental level, which would be the Planck scale, which is if you thought of yourself in size-wise in relationship to the size of the universe, which you can only kind of sort of wrap your mind around. I Actually, I can't even begin to wrap my mind around the thing I call me and the size of the universe. It's like tilt, circuits, fry. I can't, I have no imaginable way to do that. Yeah. So, okay, fine. It's a huge difference. That's a huge size differential, right? But then you think of like a cell, if you were to just using that exact proportion and go a universe smaller, you've got what's called the Planck. So are you saying a universe of a scale that your conceptual apparatus can grasp? Well, no, there's numbers, there's mathematics behind a lot of this mm. that they're starting to look at. So it's not just like, oh, let's just kind of come up with something. It's the the work's being done now to to make sense out of all this. And this is through this resonance science foundation, some of the work of a physicist named Nassim Haramain. And so this has just been really fascinating piece for me because it starts to lend itself to kind of a next level of understanding of what we can tap with our work. Because the more I'm understanding these physics, the more I can see it, the cosmology of Chinese medicine reflected in them. And I feel like when we get into Chinese medicine, we are, in a sense, trying to understand the universe, right? Mm -hmm. And trying to understand who and what we are. And I think that's what gets a lot of practitioners into this work, is not just like, I want a cool way to work on people's health, but like, I want this greater understanding. So. As we start to, like you said, these body workers and especially people working in energy medicine and, 
and East Asian medicine, I think that the more you start tapping into this chi, you're realizing you're tapping into a field of energy that likely is unifying at all scales. I can grasp that. Yeah. And again, there's information in there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's a lot of how the type of shiatsu that I practice and how it's evolved over time through the different masters that developed it, they started having that, they're in that feedback loop, honestly, with the field and gaining more and more information about the system with which they were working to develop more and more both technique and theory to inform the technique, if that makes sense. So they're not just working with, shall we say, the meat suit of the patient or the no. the blood of the patient or even the chi of the patient. There's a field that the patient arises out of. We arise out of it as well. Mm-hmm. At a certain point, is it the field working on the field? Well, yeah. I mean, you, there's a question as to does anything ever really touch anything else? <laughs> Just when you start getting into like the particles of things and how they actually the electromagnetic fields. I don't think I can explain that very well, but... Well, no, I mean, there's that idea if you're always, let's say you, know, you want to go kiss somebody and you cross halfway across the room and you cross halfway across the room, you cross halfway across the room, at the atomic level, you never get there. Right. But you can get close enough to get a kiss. Right. So like in practicality, you can get close enough. You're sensing that person. It feels like you're touching them at least, right? <laughs> you have that. Well, you're sensing them... And I would say you're connected and interacting. Yes. Yeah. So it gets really interesting to just be, I mean, I think about how much time I've been practicing shiatsu since I was 19. Oh my goodness. And I'm 50. Whoa. Uh, yeah. Okay. It's been a long time. 19 years old? Mm-hmm. What happened? How'd you do that? How did I get into it that young or yeah. how did I stay in it so long? Those are both good questions. Well, those are both good questions. Yeah. So starting out, I guess I was in high school. There were a few different things that happened that started to key me into meditation. You know, actually I had TMJ and I ended up getting a prescription for going for biofeedback. And this woman who had me all hooked up to this whole computer situation to help me learn how to relax my jaw gave me this big talk on the mind-body connection. And this was in like the mid-80s. It was very eye-opening. That was not something that was like, I mean, I'm on the West Coast. Yeah, that it wasn't that far out there, but it was new for me. Well, it's a cool thing for a 19-year-old. I know what this was when I was in high school. This was just sort of the beginning of me starting to get interested yeah. in all this. And then I decided to take, I took a meditation class and just started reading more and more about alternative medicine. And so, anyway, it just led me to reading books about, I ended up reading books about chakras and acupuncture and acupressure and thought I wanted to get into energy medicine or alternative medicine and was pretty interested in the meridian system and the acupoints and what they could do. And eventually I went to massage school and knew I wanted to study an East Asian modality. And mm -hmm. I went to East West College in Portland. And then I, the modality that they taught was Zen Shiatsu. Great intro. And I was really hooked and they had a pretty comprehensive program. I think 
for a massage school where I was getting like my basic education, I got a lot of shiatsu in that program, which I don't know if that kind of thing is even very available anymore, but I was lucky. It sounds like it. Yeah. And it just, on a technical level, shiatsu is very, and I, this was at this point, I was practicing like on a futon, crawling around using like relaxed body weight. It is very focused on like your internal alignment. And I am not a very naturally coordinated human being. And it was very difficult for me. And I think I was not a natural. I was a natural at some of the perceptive pieces to it, which got me mm -hmm. interested. I was very interested in the theory, but it took a long time to develop my actual technique, honestly. People, you know, I, I've taught for a long time and people are like, oh, well, you were probably just always good at this. And I yeah, really, yeah, wouldn't. no, not at all. <laughs> I know teachers that were and that were just kind of ballerinas on day one, but I was kind of a mess. So what kept you in the game? Well, it really was just, I was so fascinated by the energy of it. I could read all day about the theory, which was basically Chinese medicine theory. And I practiced for about 10 years, just kind of worked with that basic level. I was doing both like Swedish massage and deep tissue and shiatsu, which I probably wasn't that good at. And then I got to kind of a point where I was really ready to refine my practice because I felt like a lot of my work was like, I'm just kind of like working on sore muscles. And I knew mm -hmm. that was not why I got into it. I was fascinated by the energy and all that went into the theory behind the shiatsu. And so I ended up finding my next teacher and that was Pauline Sasaki. And she was a direct protege of Shizuto Masanaga, who was the developer of, who created Zen Shiatsu. So she had kind of evolved his work and created what she called quantum Shiatsu, which is part of how I've gotten into all of the unified physics, which has kind of been a stepping off point for me in understanding the energetics of Chi and the human energy system. Yeah. So you're exactly the kind of person that I just love to talk to. <laughs> well, great. Because you've got this passion, you've got this curiosity about something, but you're kind of clumsy with it, right? Right. I totally get this. There's a, a curiosity I've had for Chinese medicine, but I have not felt that skilled for long periods of time. I, mean, I feel like I'm catching my stride at this point, mm -hmm. but I think there is something, like you said, there's the ballerinas, there's people, they just kind of naturally get it. Mm -hmm. They just get it for whatever reason. And then there's those of us, we have to really work at it. Right. And there's something in that working at it that I don't know if it makes us better practitioners or not, but it kind of seasons us in a way. It's like, it like grows us in a direction mm -hmm. that we otherwise could not have grown in Yes, without that sort of effort on our part to keep going at it. Yeah. And then ultimately like turning around and learning to teach it. And really that was, I felt like I had a lot to offer on that level because 
I didn't get it naturally. And so I knew what my process, I had to break it down into these little parts in order to like just mechanically do the work, right? Mm-hmm. And theoretically, a lot of it made a lot of sense to me. And I was I was kind of quick in that regard. But putting it all together in technique, yeah, it's taken a lot of work. And it's I've stayed really interested and inspired to continue to be motivated to do so. Yeah. So one of the things that I've heard from people who that I've talked to who do shiatsu, mm-hmm. there's a way that they've developed a capacity for sensing. And I know as an acupuncturist, I would like to be able to do that better. Mm-hmm. And the reason that I would like to do it better is I'm pretty dang sure that if I knew how to listen correctly, the body will let me know, yes, I like that needle. No, I don't like that one. Right. So I'd like to know more about developing that sensing ability to take that information from the chi, know what to do with it. I know it's a big question. Well, it is. And there's kind of like, part of it is, it's going to happen naturally just by constantly touching people. But then there's that refining of technique. And for instance, with the quantum shiatsu that I learned with Pauline Sasaki, she included a lot of that in technique. So things that she included in technique were mindset. So as you're touching the body in informed ways, you are observing and focused not only on like the actual location in the body, but in a whole sense, you're you're focused on the whole body at once and then zeroed in on this local area you might be working at the same time lining up a mindset around your information feedback you have with the actual meridian itself and what it's kind of sharing with you. So that's a whole thing to develop, of course. And part of it's based on like a theoretical understanding of the meridian. Like you're like, okay, I'm on this meridian. I know these things. These are the functions I'm working with. This is what it does. And that's part of a distinct aspect of, of Zen and quantum shiatsu. And we are kind of calling holofractal shiatsu, but it's this information that's conveyed through the field by touching and accessing the meridian, right? So, but one of the techniques, so you have mindset, meaning you're focused on it, you are meditating in a sense on that person's meridian, on their chi. And then you're also doing things like opening up your peripheral vision as a technique. Mm. And that's engaging the field itself. Because if you're going to look, you're staring directly, just as that sort of observer idea, you're staring directly at a local area. You're stimulating actually with your field of vision. You start to open your field of vision and you start getting more, a broader range of frequencies based on that local area that you're working. And you start, you're in kind of a feedback loop with that. So it's like at first learning shiatsu and you're just learning how to touch the person and crawl around properly. Or I'm on a table now and teach on a table, but however you're doing it, you're using that alignment, you're lining, you're getting yourself 
oriented properly in the in your physical body in order to access it. But that starts to lend itself through that proper body mechanics, and that can be applied easily to acupuncture. Even looking at, because I'm an acupuncturist as well, so you're working with an acupoint and you're going to put the needle in, even just opening the peripheral vision as you do so can start to open their field up to receiving that input, right? And then if your field is opened up and you're engaging their field in that way, you're more sensitive to when you're done, when you've arrived at the Mm -hmm. appropriate level. So it does kind of break down into an interesting technique that you wouldn't necessarily expect to be an element of technique. Hello everyone, Anne Cecil Sturman here. A working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well-integrated diagnostic, theoretical and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of Yang, the primal reservoir of Yang, which ultimately finances all movement and growth. But this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel, clearing impedance in the free flow of Yang Qi to body, mind and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvelous potency of the Do channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. It's at ancecilsturman.com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at ancecilsturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. And you need to know when you're done. You don't want to over-treat. Right. So even observing without touching, observing your patient and getting a sense of what would I look for? I would look for wholeness in the field and unification in the field. Because when something is in a pathogenic state, it's starting to like break down into parts. It's not working with the whole. So you start looking, you could observe, you put your needles in, you observe, just open your peripheral vision up and just start seeing how coherent is the field that you're looking at. So I want to know a little more about looking at this field. Mm-hmm. And I want to share with you an experience that I've had. I don't know if this connects, but there's something that I've noticed in my clinic, mm-hmm. especially in the diagnostic process, especially like I'm not sure what I'm doing with this person yet. Yeah. Still gathering information. Sometimes I'll, I'll notice something. But if I focus on it too much, it like skitters out of my vision. Yes. So there's an element I have found with my patients and whatever is going on that I love the phrase, open the peripheral vision. If I kind of look at it from the sides of my eyes, I don't look at it directly. It's kind of like a wild animal. The field's like a wild animal. And it'll hang with you. But if you look at it directly it'll scamper away. Yeah. So there's this, it sounds like you've had a similar experience. Oh, yeah. That you want to observe, but you don't want to be intrusive. Right. It's not just about intruding. It's actually like how you're actually stimulating their energy with your field of vision. It's another 
part of your technique. You've got the touching part, but the visual part actually can become, and you don't have to see colors and crazy stuff like that. Some people do and some people don't, and that's not necessary, but you will start to pick up on something, right? You mm. like, oh, I'm noticing something here. It's nice to ask yourself, even if it's later, like, what did I notice and how did I notice it? Because then you can start getting more intentional with that, just having that conversation with yourself. Because I'll think to my, I'll be working along and then all of a sudden I'll like know that I'm coming up on something. I know it's there, but I'm not there yet, right? Mm-hmm. I'm trying to be aware of the whole as I go along, but I'll kind of say, now, how do I know what I'm about to find? I don't know if I could give you the answer now, but it's just a good conversation. I'll just, where did I feel that in my field? Did I feel it in my hands? Did I notice something in my head? Is there something in my vision? Just to start to refine that process and just keep an eye on that and see how it evolves. But so, yeah, you can take your, use your vision as just one element of it because it does literally expand your field. And so now you're in a more expansive state of, feeling energy even at a faster frequency because if chi is not going to be at this dense manifested level whatever we want to call it right it's not happening it's we have manifestations of it in the material and the material comes from it right the material physical body biological system comes from it but if we're starting to like become aware of it, we're going to see it in a faster range of frequencies. And so we're actually like opening up the field to include a larger range, I suppose, would be how I, I think I would explain it and understand it. Does that make sense? I'm working with it here. <laughs> I'm working with it. So we are agreed there's something about the peripheral vision. Yeah. That is kind of a receiving. It's like using our receptive capacity. Right. There is something about focus that it's more of like a giving or stimulating. And defining. You're actually kind of narrowing something down. What are you doing with your vision even? Technically, Mm -hmm. you're defining and clarifying if you look really closely at something, right? And I believe that whatever you're looking at is actually engaged with that at a certain level. Whatever we take our attention to, we're not just engaged with it, it will begin to engage with us. Yeah. And so it starts to be a way to focus in our technique. Mm -hmm. So this is why if you have a plant at a certain part of your house and you happen to see it every day, like maybe it's in your bathroom and you look at it while you brush your teeth. Mm Mm-hmm. Plants that you pay attention to, they tend to really thrive. Yeah. Interesting. So I want to stick with this field thing for a moment because I'm such a nuts and bolts kind of guy. And we start talking about fields and it starts getting woogity pretty quick. At the same time, I'm fascinated by it. And so when you talk about like looking at the field or being attentive to the field, What else are you paying attention to? Or if if you were teaching somebody new to be attentive, let's put it this way. If you were teaching somebody new to be attentive to the field, it could be a a body worker, it could be an acupuncturist, Mm -hmm. right? 
could be a psychotherapist for that matter, I guess. Right. Yeah. If you're teaching someone to become attentive to the field, how do we start? Well, I do think that using that peripheral vision is a great place to start to look at, because what we're doing is saying that you're part of a unified whole. If you're saying you're part of a field and that that field, we often think of the field as something that is around us, but not necessarily in us as well. Mm. But ultimately the field is continuous throughout the entire everything, including our physical bodies. So we want to see this as a sort of an all-inclusive field, and then we can kind of decide how broad we want to get with it, I suppose. But you want to look at the person, start by looking at, like if it's a human being, or you could look at a tree or whatever you want, but let's say a human being in relationship to a treatment, right? Look at their whole body at once. Just see them as the whole thing. And in your mindset, you can even imagine that there's like a geometry that unifies and is this underlying like underpinning that connects everything inside of them and everything around them, right? If that's helpful, it doesn't have to have the geometry piece to it. It's there and it's so small that you wouldn't see it. So just seeing them as like one whole being and then expanding your vision to include the space around them. But remembering that it's continuous with their whole biological system as well, right? Mm -hmm. And then just you can practice even by saying, okay, I'm going to look at the person like that. And now I'm going to look at them with an, a narrowed vision of like actually starting to define their features and the surface of their body and like really look at them like part by part. One of the things that's interesting as an exercise, you get to observe the difference, not only in what you see, but how do you feel when you do that? What does it feel like to look at them and the whole? Because you're stimulating this in your own field as well by doing so. So now it's two fields interacting with each other. And then if you start to define it, how does it feel different? Not as in a good or bad, but just like now I'm going to look at the color of their hair or the clothes that they're wearing and even the texture of their clothing and things like that or different defining features. The other thing to try is to have the person who's being observed to close their eyes and describe how it feels different to be observed in those two different ways if they notice mm -hmm. a difference. Mm -hmm. Wow. I like that idea. That sounds like a powerful exercise. It is. And I will do that with students who are learning. They're okay, now able to get into a meridian, work along at a reasonable clip here down the line. And I have like, maybe I'm working on my sensory aspects just in my hands. I'm starting to just feel what's underneath my fingertips beyond just texture of clothing or quality of the tissue. Now let's see what happens if we open up that peripheral vision and we start to look at the person as a whole energetically. And I'll say, how does that feel? And usually the receiver will respond faster than the giver. They think I'm asking them because they feel oh, wow. a big difference. They notice it right away. Yeah. Oh, oh, that feels way better. That feels way different. Oh, all of a sudden I felt that all throughout my whole body as opposed to just right there on my leg or something. 
So this gets into what I was talking about earlier. I'm just playing around with this. I'm just noticing some of this stuff. This thing about if I focus too much, people shut down. They'll guard. They'll shield. Yeah. Whatever might have been there, it's going to skitter away. Yeah. Doesn't like too much attention. Likes a little attention. Maybe later would like a lot of attention. Yeah. But not until you've got some kind of relationship. Right. You know, it's interesting too when you think about if you look closely at something, what we're doing when we look in that way, a lot of times we're like, we're judging. And I don't necessarily mean that to mean we're judging like in a critical, like, way, but we could be judging like spatial relationships. Like, Mm -hmm. where am I? We're using our discernment. You narrow your vision that way. But we also do that to judge. Like if you think about it, just like if I was going to like, just be real judgmental (laughs) and just think about like critically think about a person or a thing, right? What happens to your eyes? I mean, it's interesting. We're talking so much about eyes, but what happens to your eyes? When you do that, yeah, and then try to think that way with your vision opened up. Yeah, I can feel it. You kind of can't do it. No, no, your eyes really narrow, don't they? They do, and yeah. so the energetics of that is built in. So, is there an aspect as the receiver and how their chi wants to respond that's kind of like harshing on me, man? Like, mm-hmm. I'm, <laughs> maybe I'm going to run away from there because I'm feeling whatever that dynamic is. And I definitely don't mean that that's what the intention is when we're trying to, like a lot of times we're just trying to figure something out, right? Or we're trying to know more, understand, and we're going into that phase of understanding, which is using critical thinking, which is perfectly fine. But then when we start becoming a little more intentional with it, it's very interesting what can happen. Yes. Well, it's a bit intrusive. We're using our critical reasoning skills for good here. Right. But it's a little intrusive. It's also a little intrusive. Right. And it can make a person feel vulnerable. And even outside of their conscious awareness, that can be going And Their eyes could be closed and they're laying there. And yet somehow mm-hmm. their field is still responding yes. to your focus. So I want to share something with you because I think it, it kind of fits in here. And I just want to get your take on this. Mm-hmm. I have heard about very skilled osteopaths doing cranial work and people like really good with pulses. Yeah. That can like really like tune into the field especially of the patient, and they'll, they'll come up with stuff, you know, like, oh, yeah, 12 years old, you broke your knee. And there's a part of me that thinks, that's cool, I'd like to be able to do that. And there's this other part of me that goes, that's none of my damn business. Right. Unless it is, unless it is, right, in some way to, to help my patient. But I feel like any material like that, something through the veils of time like that, we need to be so respectful of. And so I was in clinic mm-hmm. and I was using the peripheral vision. I was actually working on a patient with a tachine needle. I've been exploring tachine lately. Nice. Whoa, that's talk about some field dynamics. Whoa. <laughs> right. But I had this thing working on my patient. And it was like, I wonder if this thing with the elbow is like, Young, you know, it just kind of came into my mind, right? The word like young, ooh, like young, right? Elbow, young. And I was thinking, I wonder if something happened to her. Yeah. When she was young with her elbow. And I was like, you know what? It's none of my business. But then she all of a sudden starts telling me the story of something that happened to her at this age that I'd been thinking about. 
And those moments, for me at any rate, it just feels so vulnerable. I don't dare try to interact with that directly. I'm happy to hear what they want to bring forth in the present. And I'm wondering if you have any guidance around working with that kind of thing. Because again, I've, I've been working with these Taishins lately, and on occasion this kind of thing comes up, and I'm a little bit floored by it, and I don't really know how to proceed. If something comes up and it's present, all right, it's present, but I don't think I want to go looking at it directly, but I still want to be welcoming to it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, you get to decide as the as the practitioner how you want to work with people and where your kind of boundaries are around that type of thing. Mm. But say that I get all sorts of information that's like pretty, some of it's mundane and some of it's pretty out there stuff. And I have to decide how do I want to interact with it. It's always a yes for me to accepting that this is real. Mm -hmm. I also understand that I have my own stuff that I, my own mental stuff that it's going to move through and I could misunderstand the information, right? Like just through my own, my own thing. But I just stay open to whatever it could possibly be. But sometimes the question is, is this something I want to share with a patient? I will work with it with that patient and try to just engage it. If it's coming forward and I'm not looking for it, mm-hmm. to me, that's a communication between the patient and myself. But sometimes you get the sense like, I probably don't know if this patient's open to communication on about this kind of thing, right? And what I actually learned on how did, this is a kind of deciding whether or not I want to talk about it with a patient, but there's more to it than, than that, it sounds like. But you can actually ask their field a yes and no question and say, just imagine yourself saying, so when I was working on you, I noticed this interesting thing came into my mind, right? Like, and just imagine yourself saying to that, that to the person. And if their field expands and opens up, you have it kind of you understand that that's a yes. And if it just kind of goes flat, it doesn't necessarily have to like recede and feel like anything, but just like nothing's happening is kind of what it feels like to me. Then that's kind of more of a no as a way of communicating of like, is this something that, because if we communicate sometimes the wrong thing at the wrong time to a patient, it can be undermining of the work that we're doing with them. Do you know what I mean? This is partly why I feel so cautious. Right. Like, even if you were to say, like, oh, I just have the sense I want to give them a recommendation on lifestyle, but they're kind of not ready to hear that. <laughs> yes. Yes, I do know. <laughs> yeah. You're like, you should do this, drink all this water. And they're like, I'm never seeing you again, you know, or something like that. Now, it might not be that dramatic, but you know what I mean? Like, they're like, it's good to have a, a tool to explore outcomes before you actually say it. And then you're kind of in that more open, mm-hmm. expanded state, just ready to like get the yes or the no and just go with it. But so that's a possibility of how to decide how to move forward with that. And then also exploring in yourself, like what makes me uncomfortable? Like what if someone picked up on something like this in myself, that could be one thing to explore as to why it's, and also just like, can I do this? You know, that's another question, isn't it? Like, am I allowed? Is this real. I try to give myself ways to communicate so that it's, 
I give them an opportunity to like shut it down if they're like, hmm, that's weird. Like, if mm-hmm, I were, mm-hmm. And I've heard that as a response to like, hey, this was kind of fascinating. I was working on your shoulder and I picked up on some information that seemed like from the past or something like that, right? Most of the time though, the person, it hooks them. There is a relationship to it through the field itself. And there's actually, I think there's physics that explain how our past experiences are feeding into our now. And we don't always have to go back there to change that. We can stay, we're in the now and we can perceive it from that level. But if it's coming forward, it feels meaningful. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right. It's like, okay, I got this information and now it seems like maybe I should work with this in some way. Well, back to, does it want to be worked with? Yeah, there's another yes, no question. It doesn't want to be worked with. And I'm taking this to the very physical, concrete, you mentioned this a moment ago, do I want to give them some lifestyle advice? Right. Well, here's what I've learned through lessons painfully learned over over many years of people not listening and me wasting my breath. Never give advice if it's not asked for. Mm -hmm. Just don't do it. Right. Just don't do it. And so in similar fashion, would this part like to be worked with? And you're working with it. If it came forward, I would say this, you're working with the tation. It came forward. You can simply observe it and allow it to resolve in whatever way it needs. You just know this is part of the picture of our now. This has come forward into an expression based on my technique right now, and it is being worked with. And sometimes it feels appropriate to talk about it, and sometimes it doesn't. But it's going to, if you're finding resolution to the energetics in the local area you're on with your technique or in the whole field or however you're working, then you're addressing it. Yeah, I think there's this idea in my mind that for healing to happen, we're supposed to take things that maybe we stuck down into the unconscious and we're supposed to make them conscious. And there's this other part of me that thinks, well, maybe not. I mean, maybe for some things. Maybe not for others. Right. There's all kinds of ways we resolve our experience. Yeah, that's true. Because sometimes that stuff that's way deep in there is, that's not the way it needs to find resolution, that that would be traumatizing. It may not even be verbal. Right. It may be so old it's not verbal. Right. So that wouldn't help. Right. Or is it in this lifetime? There's another question. Mm -hmm. There's another question. That's a big one, but we're working with, or is it on our on our DNA with our Jing, right? Those are things that could come up as well. I don't even know how to think about that. Right. Well, it's a fun thing to consider, but I will say this. So here's an interesting piece of how the work that we do is unique, is that Zen Shiatsu evolved to quantum Shiatsu and then has kind of evolved beyond that. We're working with the idea of holofractal shiatsu. But ultimately what we're working with is what my teacher Pauline had come up with is this idea of antipathogenic chi, not to be confused with the traditional use of that term, which is usually jung chi. It's a broader use of the term, but, and I think you would like this. It's working with the innate intelligence of the system. So when I'm working on a person, I'm actually not engaging with the pathogenic phase. I'm working with the inherent health and intelligence 
of their chi. Mm-hmm. And it's part of, I think, the speaks to the longevity in my work because the antipathogenic or that innate intelligence in the human being that I'm stimulating and focused on is feels really good. And it feels good to me and it feels good to the receiver, right? So for instance, when something comes up like, okay, some energy that's like in the pathogenic phase, like we could call it like this decoherent field of energy that's expressing as pathology, right? It's there, but I'm going to look energetically, look right through that because within that is the health already exists, right? Mm -hmm. And so I don't actually have to do anything with that, that that will resolve itself as I stay focused on that healthy chi, on the intelligence of the system that would be based on like whatever meridian I'm on, right? And what I understand about that. And also like the information that they're sharing about the meridian and I'm perceiving. So it's a really different focus and it makes it easier in some senses because what do you do? You can't resolve another person's trauma for them, for instance, if that's like part of the internal cause of whatever the pathology that they've come to you with is about, right? What are you going to do with that? In recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five element and six chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles. It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jingwell points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of chi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. And if you attempted to, I would say you're overstepping your bounds. Right. In some ways that are going to cause you some grief in the not too distant future. And even like if it's the idea of like pushing, like we could sit around and kind of push stagnation around. In a sense, with this concept, and we do this, we have points that move chi and so on and so forth, and that's all fine. But like we could stay focused on the movement of chi as opposed to the engagement of stagnation Mm -hmm. as an aspect of your mindset. Like if you're going to use that model. Now in shiatsu, we would just work on like the healthiest expression of chi within that meridian, which is infinitely healthy. And we're just bringing that person into like an aware state of connection to that as part of who they are. They're remembering their innate intelligence, the innate health of their energy. This is why people love acupuncture so much. 
Yeah, because you're being reminded of who and what you really are. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I'm not afraid to talk about that something might be going on with the person, but I want them to walk away remembering more about the health of themselves than the problem they came in with. Mm -hmm. So you were talking earlier about mindset. Mm -hmm. And this sounds like an expression of that. Yes. And I've heard the old school osteopaths talk about like the capital H health, right? The health that part of us that cannot be made ill, like even at the moment of death, it's there, it's present, it can't be made ill. Yeah. Looking at that, focusing on that, giving that a chance to be attended to, appreciated, expanded. Now, this gets really interesting really quick. Most people come to us with some kind of pathology. Yes. And what is it that we're focusing on? The pathology. Are we getting in our own way by focusing on pathology? I think we can. I mean, it's a dance that you do because you're not going to have the person walk in there who's experiencing something difficult in their life. And you're going to recognize that that's happening and that that's hard and that you're there to help them in whatever way you can. And yet then for me, I'm like, what I, one of the things I do, like just an intake is start working toward a goal. So the goal has to be in that antipathogenic range, right? And it's not to say, I will address what's going on. Like you go right into, say we're just talking musculoskeletal, you go right into the shoulder that's affected and has all the things happening there. But when I go into the meridian, what am I feeling for? What am I engaging with? I'm engaging with that strong, clear resonance within the meridian that knows itself, that knows how to be well. And I might, I could do that locally. I can do that distally and be having that. I can be having a conversation with that health of the being throughout the entire session. And people will engage with it at different levels of readiness, I suppose. Some people don't want to be talked out of the difficult thing that they're dealing with. And I have no judgment on that. It's just a matter of like, where are you today? And what can we do? But even just feeling yourself just through the the touch and the energetic work starts to create the change. Do different meridians feel different to you? Yes. What do you notice? Well, and this is how I start with it, like on a teaching level, is just saying in some ways they express their energetics just through the like natural landscape of the body, right? Like say like stomach meridian and the legs has this sort of hardy, earthy quality just to the tissue itself, right? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of like your gateway in is to just start to pay attention to like, that's part of the energy is the physical is energy too, right? It's just more of a manifested part of it, right? But it's interesting. You kind of create, you start to develop your own way of relating to it through ex like that's sort of informed through the experiences you have, right? By exploring even the elemental associations. But I mean, there is, it's like, how would I describe them as different? That's always such a great place to start an inquiry, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, oh, there should be something here. There is something here, but I don't know what it is yet. Yeah. I'm like, 
doing shiatsu on my own leg right now while I think about this. I'm like, okay, well, there's, I mean, yin and yang meridians can have some different qualities to them in general, like just fullness versus something that, an energy that draws you deeper. And that can be based on location and all of that as well. But yeah, I mean, you just, you start to feel like it's not, because it's not just the physical sensation. It's like what happens in the field, like back to that again, but like, what's it like in your whole body when you're tapping into this energy? What happens? And so I would say, I feel it more like that, like the movements and the ways that the energy expresses throughout. Like you think about like kidney energy I mean, to me, it does. It does kind of go deep. It does start to have this like resonance at the bone level in my own body. And like, I can start to like feel that in the other person. So yeah, those are different ways that I might notice it. And it would be different from person to person to some extent as well. Well, I've just been palpating my own meridians a little bit as we're having this conversation. Since you mentioned that the stomach channel has this hearty sense about its tissues. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like, oh, well, what's the lung channel feel like? Oh, yeah, it's yeah, definitely softer. And then how's the triple burner? It's like, whoa, that's kind of a buzzy, vibrate dude, at least on me here today. And then you mentioned, well, you don't have to just focus on the meridian. You can pay attention to the field. And I realized, wow, I'm really putting my focus. I'm staring right at that thing. Yeah. What if I soften and go a little wider Yes, with my touch and with my attention. That's a completely different experience. Absolutely. Wow. Thank you. Yeah, that can be done. You're welcome. And that can be done, like you said, like in a lot of different contexts with all different kinds of medicine, but in particular with. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a great place to start the inquiry. Yes. Do it the next time you walk into clinic. Yeah. Just start looking at the whole person before you even touch them because that's the beginning of the treatment. We know this just by observing them, but like practice expanding and contracting your field of vision as you're looking at the person and just see how it changes what you notice. I love it. Also how comfortable the patient is with you too, right? Yeah, you can watch for that. I know with certain people especially when I'm seeing them for the first time where we don't quite have a relationship established. I don't like to look too directly at them. Right. I mean, I want to be attentive to them, but I don't want to stare. So I don't want to energetically stare. Space. Yeah. Right. It's like, I'm working you out, you know, so I know where to put a needle. It's like, well, maybe a little softer. Right. So a couple other things that come to mind with this. Mm -hmm. And the first one is, how do I separate my own imagination or wishful thinking for that matter from what might be present? From your perception, you mean? Yeah, from my perception. Well, I say this in a teaching context, and I'll say it to you. The imagination is the gateway into perception, if not an aspect of it. So I do encourage um, imagination. So for instance, this is one way to start to get a better sense of the meridians is imagine what they look like. Mm. In your mind's eye, if you're working along this trajectory, 
What are you seeing? And let go of the idea of where this information is coming from. You can set yourself up with the intention is, I'm trying to look at this person's energy and I'm not trying to just look at myself. Mm -hmm. There's always going to be an interaction going on there. So we can't eliminate that altogether. And that's really okay because part of what you're doing in that kind of a dynamic between receiver and practitioner is the interaction between you and that person is part of what you're doing there. You can't be just neutral nothing. You're you. So how you perceive is unique to you and the interaction and the perception you have of that person is based somewhat on the interaction between you and that person. So if you allow that, then that's okay. So that would be one kind of just permission level to give yourself. And then, so then to start imagining, what is it? What do I, what, if I imagine it, isn't that interesting? Here's an interesting one that can come up is why can't I imagine it right here? But then I imagine it very clearly here is that perception. Is there something we're going to say, I mean, this gets more into like what's happening with the energetic flow of chi in this area that I can't discern it very well. And then for me, I would say that I need to like focus in or expand my focus actually more. It's interesting. I would go into an even more expansive phase Mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. find that energy and draw it forward if it's really receded and does that correlate with something going on locally or something like that? Those would be ways of starting to make sense out of what you might notice in your so-called imagination. But I honestly think like really open it up because it's all real. There's no part of your experience that's not real. It's all part of, we can't like say, oh, well, this isn't reality just because it's happening in my mind. It's just a different way of being in reality is in my in my mind or so yeah i would say allow the imagination to start to inform it and the more clear you get in your work the more you do it the more you start to notice maybe little differences between stuff you're picking up on and something i don't know projecting i try not to worry about projecting that much honestly well i worry some about that is this my stuff or their stuff Or do I have a goal for them and I want them to get to a certain place? Am I sort of pushing on them in a way to get better so I can feel good about me? That's a good question. And that would be where you would engage it from. Yeah. It would be like, probably you want a little too much out of the situation. And we all do, but that's always something to check yourself on. Mm -hmm. What do I want out of this? Do I want to feel good about myself because they are getting better or something like that? And sometimes just naming it, then you can move on from it. Yes. Yes. I have found that as well. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I'm not feeling so great about myself today. It'd be nice if you got better. But then you realize too, like, I don't know, after 30 years in practice, I was like, it's going to sound weird, but I don't care in the way that I once did. Ooh, what happened? How did you get to a place of not caring? That's really interesting. Well, what I realize is I'm not as big of a part of this as I think I am. (laughs) I'm there to be helpful and maybe a larger level of divine timing on people's evolutionary process of wellness that like, I'm not trying to control that. I'm just trying to like be part, I'm just doing what I do. And I don't feel as attached to the outcomes in that way. I want to see, I mean, if someone's like, I feel completely the same. I mean, I'm like, oh, that's too bad. Maybe this isn't the right thing for you. Maybe we need to find you a different person 
or for whatever reason, but usually that's not the case. But, you know, small gains are good. Huge gains are great. And I enjoy that. It's exciting to see what we can do with our work, isn't it? Like It is exciting. You're like, this is awesome. You feel great. I feel great. But at the same time, it's just, it's okay for it to just be a little thing one day too. I don't know. I guess that's just over time it's gotten that way. Also, I'm going to throw this in quickly, but Mm. self-cultivation, huge. Qigong, whatever you do, yoga, it doesn't matter. But take time to cultivate you so that you're more and more clear in your own vehicle Mm -hmm. and you show up like just ready. That's how so much of that work clears the stuff you have going on that gets you engaged in the process in ways that aren't helpful to you or your perception or your patient, right? Yep. That makes sense. So, and it's, even if it's just 10 minutes of meditation in the morning, it makes a difference. Over time, it certainly does. Yeah. Yeah. I think what I just heard you saying a moment ago in in your, like being with what shows up, there's a kind of neutrality that's within you Mm -hmm. to whatever experience arises. Big thing arises. Okay, that's cool. Small thing arises. Oh, look at that. Yeah. And I'm really like, I'm in it. If I'm in it for something, it's probably for learning. Oh, I love that. I often am thanking my patients for showing me something fascinating about their energy field or who they are that I would have never experienced had they not walked in my door. Mm. Right. So I get excited just, just to learn about the process of all of it and human beings and the universe. I mean, all of that is like so much of what I show up for. Wonderful. You know, this is funny. At the beginning of today's conversation, I thought we're going to talk about putting our hands on people and sensing things. And, and here we are, having taken this completely other journey. Yeah into not what we do, but how we are. Yeah. So I thank you for that. This has been very thought-provoking and so often happens after one of these podcast conversations. I can go back into my clinic and there's something new to investigate. I get so excited about that. Yeah. It's fun to have those, just that added perspective of like, ooh, what if I do this through this new... Yeah. What if I do this with my perception? Yeah. Yeah. And I will say too, I do work in a very physical way as well. <laughs> like I work, can work very deep and very focused in that way. It's just funny. But it is all through that bigger picture of mm-hmm. perception and the energetic field. And honestly, like I will say that the field sounds confusing and I think that there are physics emerging that will clarify things in a way that make the understanding of it on a very technical level will make what we do in our medicine so much more clear and effective. It will make so much sense to us in our medicine. It's going to be cool to see what happens because the more I understand it, the more my whole being just lights up and I get how this is happening. Like even that idea of like connecting in through the DNA and understanding that actually that DNA is 
imprinting information on the field and it's in like a resonance with your now and can be accessed. Just things like that, that like there's a technical piece to that that will make sense out of so much of what we're already doing. I think that's part of it because we're already exploring this through all different ways of working with this medicine, like all of the ways that we work with it. Wow. We could really go down a rabbit hole with DNA and its imprint on on the field. That sounds fascinating, but maybe for another day. Another day. Another yes. day. <laughs> in the meantime, if, if people were interested in learning more about the kinds of stuff we've been talking about, do you have any resources that you could point people towards? Yes. Well, we have our Shiatsu school that is getting back in action now that we're kind of coming, hopefully, to a better place post-COVID. So we have a new cohort or it's starting soon, but we'll be starting up the second one in 2023. So our website, you can find information about that on our website, which is pdxschoolofshiatsu.com. And then in terms of unified physics, there's an amazing free resource that's Resonance Science Foundation, and they have a free physics program. You can also be a paid member and pay like $5 a month and be involved in live Q&As several times a month and support what they're doing. But it's really an amazing thing to have that so accessible. But it's the work, the main physicist is Nassim Haramain. And then he has an incredible team of people working with him, biophysicists, another guy named William Brown. You can find lots of their talks on YouTube. They have a Facebook page but I'm a big fan of what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And what was that website again? It's resonance, R-E-S-O-N-A-N-C-E, science.org. And yeah, it's so cool to have that as a resource, that physics program, because it'll get you kind of the overall picture. And I think it's really inspiring for anybody, but I think it has some real relevance in the field of Chinese medicine. Wonderful. Well, Beth, thank you so much for this really enjoyable and and helpful discussion today on uh, on perception and sensing and fields and working with our patients yeah it's been great you're welcome thank you for talking to me and it was just really thought provoking questions and i love this stuff <laughs> it's what keeps us in the game doesn't it it really does it really does all right thanks so much thank you Hearing Beth's thoughts on peripheral vision, it struck a chord with me. It's something I've noticed in my clinical work that there's something out at the edges, something the patient doesn't name. Sometimes because they're not sure how to name it, and other times because it's something they'd like to get rid of and so reluctant to name it. Often enough, it is a sense, a, a kind of presence, and it does not want to be front and center, but neither does it want to be ignored. I suspect we all have parts that want to be seen, but not stared at. They want to be integrated, but not live in the spotlight. I've had patients share with me ancient hurts or confusions in soft ways that bring them present, very tender material, often enough nonverbal, and attending with the peripheral vision 
seems respectful, like dealing with untamed animals. You want to move slowly, with attentiveness, but without too much direct focus. We all have untamed parts looking for integration, and the peripheral vision is a way of connecting without being invasive. And finally, there is something about being touched with attentive hands that are engaged, but not too inquisitive, connected, and with room to breathe. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community. Mm -hmm.